Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, sponsored by ACR, America's Card Room, where we just announced a brand new Venom PKO, a $5 million guaranteed progressive knockout bounty tournament with starting flights throughout the month of April. My name is Clayton Fletcher, and I'm in New York City. So happy to be bringing you this episode. Uh, There is a lot of negativity right now in the poker world and a lot of people trying to show that they're more manly than each other and people wanting their friends to watch the whole heads up thing. I'm not getting involved in that. Today, I am spreading hashtag positivity, just like my friend Phil Helmuth, who, by the way, had a good week himself. Shout out to Phil. He won the uh, U.S. Poker Open event number five, which was a 10K No Limit Hold'em tournament, part of the Poker Go Tour. I want to talk about Ebony Kenny. You guys know I love Ebony. She's one of my favorite people in poker. She is an ACR-sponsored pro, and she's doing something for the community, particularly for the ladies. I'm just going to read her tweet. It says, I've got exciting news for all my ladies. After such positive feedback from last year's coaching call during the World Series of Poker, I knew I wanted to create something more. I've been chewing on this idea for quite some time, and she's finally ready. Embodied confidence has landed. So every other week on Zoom, women can join Ebony Kenny for poker coaching, and I'm assuming some other types of confidence building. Hard to imagine, if not impossible, to imagine Ebony doing anything without also spreading positive vibes and good confidence to all. So definitely check her out, Ebony underscore Kenny on Twitter, and you can find all of the information about her free Embodied Confidence coaching series. So check her out on Twitter. So today we are going to be talking about positive things and good vibes only, which brings me to the latest weight loss bet. Actually, it's a body fat percentage bet to be technical uh, bill perkins has wagered 10 to 1 versus sean deeb sean deeb is a, a great poker player um, a polarizing figure to be sure i'd say a lot of people find him grading uh they're, they're, they're not impressed with his antics and things of that nature but one thing we can all get behind is this guy trying to get into better shape i mean he is morbidly obese Right now, I think that's fair to say he weighs in excess of 300 pounds and he stands at 5 feet 11 inches. So he is definitely a large guy. Uh, This all started when Josh Aurier posted a video actually of Sean Deeb gluttonously eating chicken wings at the poker table. Regardless of how you feel about Deeb or weight loss bets in general, I think we can all agree no one should be eating 
buffalo chicken wings at the poker table. I mean, come on. There should be a modicum of respect for your opponents. Buffalo chicken wings are messy. They're greasy. They're slimy. They're stinky. (laughs) Not the kind of thing you should be choosing to eat in the poker room. I think that's clear. Uh, But, you know, besides all that, this has the potential to be a feel-good story. Okay, now he's got some time. He's got until the start of the 2024 WSOP to make good on his bet, which is that he's going to reach 17% body fat. Now, guys, if you don't know, 17% body fat isn't exactly shredded, okay? You're not like Mr. Universe or something, but it is definitely a major transformation from the body type that Mr. Deeb has now. He is getting 10 to 1, so he's putting out $100,000 to win a cool million if he manages to pull this off. So I, for one, am rooting for you, Sean. I hope that you can do this. By the way, full disclosure, guys, Sean Deeb won his first circuit ring in his home casino, which is the one that I spent most of last episode bashing, the Turning Stone, where I was treated very poorly and mostly unimpressed with basically every single thing about the place. But yeah, that's where Sean Deeb is from, and he won his first ever circuit ring in the main event there, so congrats on that as well. Look, Sean, I want you to lose the weight. I think you could be an inspiration to poker players everywhere. If this guy can do it, then so can I. Hashtag positivity. All right, today I want to continue our discussion of the 2022 World Series of Poker main event as seen on Poker Go. We're actually going to talk about the table where I was actually present for a very few minutes. I showed up on day two with a very dusty, dusty short stack, and I did not last very long after they moved us to the Thunderdome. I don't even know if we still call it the Thunderdome. Is it still the Thunderdome, or was that just a Rio thing? Anyway, I didn't last long at this table, but it ends up being a pretty interesting cast of characters. And today I want to focus on several hands played by my friend, Jamie Kerstetter. By the way, guys, if you're not following Jamie Kerstetter on Twitter, you are absolutely doing Twitter wrong. Uh, She is one of the most fundamental, essential follows in all of poker Twitter. She's funny. She's smart. She'll make you smile. This is from day two, right in the middle of the day. 600, 1200, and 1200 are the blinds and the big blind ante. Jamie has been very conservative thus far. She's mostly been folding, kind of staying out of the way, not really feeling a lot of pressure to do much. She has a decent sized stack. I mean, nothing to write home about, but she's doing a lot better than she was earlier on day two when we both actually showed up this morning with a pretty short stack. (laughs) But things have gone better for Jamie today than they have for me, as I'm already out of the tournament by this point. So anyway, it's a nine-handed full table, and really for the first time all day long, Jamie decides to step out of line a little bit. She opens to 2,500, so just one little chip higher than a min raise, and she's got the 10 of hearts, 9 of hearts in second position, or as you may call it, under the gun plus one. 
So yeah, this is the kind of play Jamie had not been making during the proceedings. And I can virtually assure you that no one at the table is putting her on the 10-9 suited raising from early position. She's got 95000 in her stack, which is probably right around maybe a notch below average. She's doing fine. Uh, next to act on her immediate left is the table chip leader, a Frenchman, a professional by the name of Matteo Cavellier. And he calls with about 150000 in his stack. I don't want to tell you guys what he has yet. Everyone else folds and Jamie and Matteo are going to the flop. There is 8,000 in the pot and the flop comes ace of hearts, five of spades, five of diamonds. So ace, five, five, rainbow, hero holding the 10 of hearts, nine of hearts. So what to do in Jamie's shoes? I mean, we with the flop, there's, uh, I mean, we have some backdoor flush possibilities, but not much else going on. I think this is a great flop, though, for a C-bet. And the reason I think that is because we should probably have a lot more ace-king, ace-queen, ace-jack in our range than the caller does. Although, given that he's in third position, he might have a good amount of that as well. But the bigger point is just that if he doesn't have an ace, he's probably not going to continue in the hand for three full streets. So it's a good spot. Put in a small C-bet. I like about 2,000, maybe 2,500, and just be done with it a lot of the time. And that's exactly what Jamie does. She bets 2,000 into the 8,000 pot. I like this sizing. There's no real need to go any bigger than that. I mean, if our opponent called with a hand like king-queen suited or maybe pocket sevens, there's a decent chance that just one small bet could actually take this down, especially given Jamie's table image, which again was very conservative. So I don't really see a need to go much bigger than this. I think 2,000 is great. Unfortunately, Cavalier calls, and now we're going to see a turn. With 12,000 in the middle, the turn comes the six of hearts. So our board is now ace of hearts, five of spades, five of diamonds, six of hearts, hero holding the 10 of hearts, nine of hearts, and now having picked up the backdoor flush draw. So what should hero do? I think there are two ways to play this hand. I think if we're checking, we're looking to check raise with our semi bluff. You know, we've got a flush draw now. And I think this is a good situation for protecting our checking range so we can check and hope that our opponent, having very little, will see that as weakness and maybe try to take a stab at it. And then we can put in the check raise and take it down a lot. Um, that is a higher variance play. You can also just go ahead and lead. Many times when we do pick up equity on the turn, we can put that into our fire another barrel range, if you will. So that's fine as well. Uh, let's see what Jamie decided to do. Yeah, she went small again. She bet 4,200 into the 12,000 pot. Now, to me, this is kind of a blocking bet. Very often, when we check the turn, Mateo will either bet for value with a hand like Ace-X, or he will bet a larger amount than one-third of the pot as a bluff. Remember, we give him a very good price to float us on the flop. So maybe he's done that here. So for that reason, I really like Jamie's 
sizing here because she allows herself to see the river at a decent price. The only way this bet backfires is if Mateo would have checked behind on 4th Street or if he happens to raise. That is the downside of it, but on balance, I like the play. And so Jamie bets 4200 and again, Cavalier just calls. So start to ask yourself, what do you think his range is? I mean, certainly when we bet so small on the flop, just 25%, he doesn't need to have an ace. But now that he bet again, I think that a lot of his range is going to be ace-x. And now we're on our way to the river, and with 20,400 tournament units in the middle, the river comes the deuce of spades for a final board of ace of hearts, five of spades, five of diamonds, six of hearts, deuce of spades. So pretty much an utter brick. Uh, Jamie now has another decision to make here, which is do I want to continue telling the story that I have an ace? I mean, we obviously are not going to win this pot very often with 10 high, but that in itself is no reason to bet. Just because you can't win with 10 high doesn't mean you have to bet. To me, when he calls on the turn, we have to give up on the river. If we have a board that's as dry as ace, five, five, six, deuce, and we keep getting action every time we bet, we need to figure out there just aren't that many hands that we can beat. We need to do just a little bit of hand reading here and figure out that there aren't that many hands we'll be able to get our opponent to lay down. I mean, if we bet again, what can he really fold? Maybe if he floated the flop and picked up a, a draw of his own on the turn and then just called with it, that's a possibility. Maybe a hand like King Queen of Hearts, but I'm really grasping at straws here, trying to find anything that can call the flop, call the turn, and fold the river. I mean, even when he has like a weak Ace-X, something like Ace-10 suited, right, which he may have called with pre-flop and now be holding on, he's really not going to fold. Unless Jamie wants to, you know, maybe overbet and really put him to the test, I don't think that bluffing really makes a lot of sense. I mean, I guess maybe we could go for a check-raise bluff on the river if you really want to get fancy play syndrome. Maybe we check and he puts in like 8,000 into 20,000 and then we put in like 30,000. And at that point, we're representing a full house or better. I just don't know if Jamie wants to do that in her main event. There are some softer spots than Cavalier at the table. So why does Jamie really want to tangle with him in this way? Look, we tried to hit our flush. We didn't get there. We stepped out of line once with 10-9 suited. We picked up a flush draw on the turn. We just lose a few chips on to the next one. Let's see what Jamie did. She checks. Mateo fires 10,500 into the 20,400 pot. And Jamie just decides to fold. I mean, obviously, she can't call with 10 high. I don't know how much consideration she actually gave to the check raise bluff on the river. It's a pretty sexy play when it works, but it can cost you a lot of chips that you really didn't have to lose when it doesn't. For those keeping score at home, I want to let you know that Mateo held the ace of spades, king of spades, and in my opinion, was not going anywhere. All right, let's look at another one. Two hands later, Jamie's down to 85,000 in her stack. Still totally fine. 
It's the main event. You've got lots and lots of time. The big blind is only 1,200. You're golden. Uh, we're in the big blind this time with the nine of hearts, six of hearts, and the action folds to Tom Kite in fourth position. Now, he's an older gentleman, a recreational player, and someone that has not been very involved thus far at the table. So he opens to 2,500 from the low jack off of a stack of 75,000. Not going to tell you what he has yet. Next up in the cutoff, Lorinus Levinskis of Lithuania. That is not easy to say. Uh, he calls with about 110,000 behind in his stack. Next on the button with only 44,000 in her stack is Leela West, who calls as well. In the small blind, a player named Onan with only 25,000 throws a few more chips in, and so he calls from the small blind. And now Jamie in the big blind with all this action in front of her. She's got the nine of hearts, six of hearts, and she's getting nine to one on her money. I think this is a compulsory call, and Jamie puts in 1,300 more, and we're going to see a five-way flop. And now with 13,000, 700 in the middle, Hero holding the nine of hearts, six of hearts. The flop comes, king of hearts, nine of spades, tray of hearts. So king, nine, tray with two hearts. Hero holding the nine, six of hearts for middle pair and a flush draw and the small blind checks. Action is on Jamie. Once in a while in Jamie's shoes, I like to lead out with a set especially bottom set or middle set or definitely two pair, a hand like king nine or king tray suited. I think that we can lead with those hands. So in order to do that, we need to have some number of flush draw or other bluffs just to balance those leads out. Obviously, of course, checking is also fine. But I think sometimes, you know, putting in a healthy bet here can be very useful in just enabling us to bet our really big hands like bottom set on a board like this, which we probably wouldn't want to check in that instance. If you think about it, do you really want to give everybody a free card with so many draws available on king nine tray with two hearts? So just food for thought, but obviously checking is fine. And that's what Jamie ends up doing. In fact, it checks all the way over to the button who is Leela West on a relatively short stack of 45,000. And she bets about half the pot into four opponents, 6,500, leaving herself about 35,000 behind. The small blind folds and the action is now on Jamie. And I feel like Jamie can do a lot of different things here. I mean, we can go for the check raise, but if we do, we've got to be willing to get the whole 44,000 in against Leela West which raises the important question, how big of a pot do you want to play in the main event with just a nine high flush draw, especially against a very conservative opponent? This Lila West has been very, very conservative at the table, which is a uh, consideration. The fact that she has bet at all into four opponents speaks volumes. You know, your Tuesday night local casino nightly tournament if it checks to the button, he always bets. That's not this Leela West. Her playing style is much more thoughtful, deliberate, and conservative. And so for that reason, we need to just give her credit here. You know, I think she's usually going to have at least a king 
when she makes this play. I don't think that Lila West would necessarily even have bet a flush draw. She would have seen her dwindling stack and say, I'm going to check this back and see if I can get there rather than trying to bluff my way through four opponents. So, uh, and, and can you blame her? You know, it's very hard to bluff four opponents. So I would give her credit. And I think that's what Jamie did too, because she just called the 6,500 and everyone else folds. So now with 26,700 in the middle and Lila West with only 36,000 or so in her remaining stack, the turn comes the Jack of Spades. So our board is now King of Hearts, Nine of Spades, Trey of Hearts, Jack of Spades. And the action is on hero, Jamie Kerstetter, who decides to check. I like this play. I feel like if you check raise the flop, then you can definitely shove the turn no matter what comes. But since we took a more passive line on the flop, I think we should remain passive here on the turn. The other option, though, is similar to the previous hand. Jamie could put in a very small bet here on the turn just to try to get to the river cheaply, which might actually have some merit. Number one, Lila West is not a very aggressive opponent. And the more passive the opponent, the more susceptible to the blocking bet or the defensive bet, as it's sometimes called, that player is. So this is a good candidate against whom to try a blocking bet, but I don't really like it because, I again, I think that Lila West will usually have at least a king, and now we're trying to get her to fold a king. I mean, even conservative players know they need to hang on with top pair a lot, so checking is almost definitely better, especially versus a passive opponent who may not even bet a king on the turn with two available flush draws. And so because of that, I really like checking here, hoping that Lila West tries to conserve what's left of her stack and that I can have a free chance to catch up with either a nine, a six, or a heart on the end. And that's exactly what happens. Jamie checks, West checks behind, and now with 26,700 in the middle, the river comes the seven of hearts, completing the flush, and Jamie leads right out for 12,000, and West goes into the tank for, I think, about four minutes and throws away the king of diamonds, queen of diamonds. So really nice fold by Lila West and another nice hand by Jamie Kerstetter, who, by the way, showed the flush at the end. I think that was a classy move just to show your opponent, you know, I'm not picking on you. Also, that might help Jamie get more respect later on a bluff. But even aside from that, I feel like it's just a classy thing to do. Obviously, the poor woman was in the tank for four minutes. Why make her wait another half hour to find out that you rivered the flush? Oh, by the way, almost forgot. In that hand, the original Razor, Tom Kite, had pocket sixes. Um, Levinskis from Lithuania in the cutoff had the ace of clubs, eight of clubs. And um, Onan, who was our very short stack, small blind, had the ace of spades, deuce of spades. So we had a few hands there where maybe players could have considered going for the squeeze or something like that. But, you know, you just don't really see those kinds of elaborate plays early in the main event. Typically, 
players like to take the conservative approach, even when another play might be plus EV, just to preserve their chip stack and make that main event last as long as possible. All right, so let's do one more quick one here, guys. Same two ladies. Actually, the very next hand, and this time the action folds all the way to the button, who is the aforementioned Leela West, who opens to 2,600 from the cutoff. Uh, the button folds, and now Jamie is in the small blind with the ace of spades, 10 of clubs. I think this is pretty close. Um, Leela West, as mentioned, hasn't been very active at this table. I don't know if I really want to get all 35,000 in. So if I three bet here and then she shoves, I might have an uncomfortable decision with ace 10 offsuit. I mean, do I really want to put in the rest of my stack? But if I three bet, it's going to be about 20% of my opponent's stack. I mean, I think if you want to fold this, it's actually, it might sound crazy, but I think that's fine. You know, this is not a typical cutoff open. This is a pretty conservative player who doesn't really take every spot. And ace-10 just doesn't really do that well against such a, an opponent's range. I mean, I guess you could call, but then you might invite the big blind who's a tough player in. And now you have to be out of position in a multi-way pot with ace-10 offsuit. Not exactly ideal. Not really sure what to do. Jamie decided to go for the aggressive play here. She made it 7,100, which is not a very large three bet. Remember, the original open was to 2,600. Jamie just puts in 4,500 more, at which time Matteo Cavellier folded pocket eights. Wow. I mean, he really did not want to get involved with Jamie Kerstetter and the short stack who opened from late position. This is a very disciplined laydown by Cavellier. And then Lila West laid down the ace of spades, jack of clubs. She had Jamie pipped, but it just really shows the value of aggression and how people really just don't want to bust out of the main event. So Jamie gets it through, and that'll do it for this episode. No free roll this week, guys, on ACR, but definitely make sure that you are in the Discord. It's free, and we'll let you guys know about all the exciting promotions that we have coming up this spring. And for everyone here at TPE, with special thanks, as always, to our incredibly generous sponsor, America's Card Room, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. I wanna hold them like they do in Texas plays. Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. Lock in intuition, play the cards with babes to start. And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart. Campbell and it's fun when you're with me I love it. Right.
Russian roulette is not the same without a gun. And baby, when it's love, it's not rough, it isn't fun, fun. Oh, whoa. Oh.